turn to me very seriously to, to John chapter 1. Can't find where it is. So the word word up there is there for a reason because we're going to look at the words, not just the word of God, but uh, where the word, the word is referred to. So we'll just read through the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming to the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came, that which, uh, he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't rec- receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Yeah, come on. Hmm. Yeah, just sense his presence again. He hasn't left us. The Word is here. The Word. The Word of God. Who is God. Who was with God, but is God. The Word became flesh. He became like you and me. And yet without sin. And he dwelt amongst us. And by his Spirit, he's here now. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Father, won't you release what you want to say to us again right now? Do something in our hearts. We've looked into your face, Lord, and we can't walk away. We've looked into your face, Lord, and we cannot walk away. You have gripped us. Just sense in the worship that you may, in fact, have walked away a little bit. You may have walked away a long way. You may never have met with Jesus yourself, but this morning is a day you can meet with him. He's been touching your heart. Some of you feel I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm coming back to his presence. I'm coming back to his fullness. The fullness of grace, John says, has been poured out. Through Jesus. 
There's nothing else that God needs to do to express himself other than in Jesus. So, Father, let us hear your voice. Have you often wondered why John speaks about Jesus as the word? No other gospel starts like this, does it? For every other, every gospel starts differently, and John is like that, but John is quite different in that he begins with this amazing kind of opening verse. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. No other gospel does that. So why does John do that? Well, like most things in the Bible, people have written volumes about it. So here comes volumes about it in about two minutes. Okay. It's interesting because at this time, the word, word, (laughs) was used in all kinds of ways. Apart from, you know, just words that we speak. The Greek philosophers used word or the word or a word as a kind of principle, a divine principle. You know, they, they were searching for something in the universe. There's something that's right at the heart that explains everything, the reason why we live, the kind of divine principle. But that's as far as they ever got, whether it's Socrates or Plato and all the others. They didn't really get behind this, the idea that there was something divine, there was a divine principle. After all, how did the world get here? Was there something that kind of explained everything? And he used the word in that, in that way. Obviously, a lot of people at that time were either Greek or they'd been influenced by Greek thinking. And then probably around this time, there would have been people that they called Gnostics. And Gnostics kind of believed that the word or the savior, you know, he had come, but he was like very spiritual. If he came into a human body, it was only kind of temporary because everything physical was evil. So why would God want to inhabit it? That, you know, we're just spiritual beings, and so they were very otherworldly. They were incomplete in what they believed about the word. But then, of course, there were the Jewish people, and the Jewish people had lived with the word of God throughout the time covered by the Old Testament. So the word of God was spoken, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be the earth and the sky and the seas and the animals. And everything came from the word of God. The word was word of God in Jewish thinking was a very powerful concept. And of course, God keeps on speaking his word. He speaks it particularly through Moses. And, you know, they, they, they are given the law or the Torah. There's a whole bunch of books called the wisdom literature. And God speaks through the wisdom literature. So, so the, the people have the word of God that is both the law and it's wisdom. And of course, then you get the prophets. So, you know, as Israel drifted away from God, God raised up prophets with the word of God. They heard the word that they needed to hear at that particular time. So John actually is very clever here. John is tapping into a concept that is shared by Jews and Greeks and, you know, religious people alike. Brilliant, isn't it? Because what he wants to do is say, in fact, that thing that you are talking about, here it is in its total and true expression. Jesus is not just a word from God. He is the word of God. And the word of God has become flesh. It's become a human being. And he's dwelt amongst us. See, so often, whether particularly Jewish people, you know, both for the Greeks, the, the word was, you know, a concept that was kind of abstract, and therefore it was distant. 
It was hard to grasp hold of. Even for Jewish people who had seen God kind of appear in all sorts of ways, yet they had this kind of holy concept that God was, you know, you couldn't even take the word of God on your lips. It couldn't even be written down properly in its fullness. And here's John saying, the word has arrived. The thing or the person that explains everything for whom you were made. And in fact, not a, you know, he has made the world that you are part of. Hence, you can recognize him. Because the whole, if the whole world, you included, has been made through Jesus, that enables you to recognize your maker. And one of the ways that John is underlining the fact that Jesus is God, the word is God, is of course in the next few verses, goes on to say, well, everything that was made was made through Jesus. He has one of the great attributes of divinity, which is he can create out of nothing. So the one hand, we walk in this kind of tension, don't we, between Jesus, who is a man who can whisper into our ears, who can put his arm around us, who can love us, speak tenderly, and yet at the same time, he can throw stars into space. It's majestic, isn't it? Absolutely majestic. And here he is. So John begins this gospel, which he has written, in order that, if you look in chapter 20, towards the end of the, or the last verse in, that, in chapter 20, I think it's 19. He says, I have written this so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and through believing, you will have life. All the life that's ever worth living, all the lightness that ever, you know, that shines in the darkness comes through Jesus. So I, Bill Johnson, can say that Jesus is perfect theology. He is a perfect expression of God. You don't need to look anywhere else. You won't find him anywhere else. You won't find God truly in all his godness anywhere else than Jesus. He is the word. He was with God. He is God. Come on. (laughs) So... We don't call people today Greeks or religious people, you know, whether they're Jewish or or anything else. But there are lots of people around who are thinking just like Greeks or are thinking just like Jews. They have a concept of God, but they don't have a concept and a saving concept of Jesus. That's our great hope, isn't it? You see, everybody around you is being prepared by God. God has, the Bible says, has put eternity into their hearts. They are thinking about God, even though even an atheist is thinking about God. He's trying hard to make sure that God's not in his thinking. That's why he's an atheist. (laughs) You've got to feel sorry for atheists, isn't it? There's so much going against them. I like David Pawson tells the story of, um, you know, we used to interview people when he was an army chaplain. And if somebody, usually people would come and say, and you had to fill in, you know, what's your faith? Most people would write down Church of England. And one guy walks in one day and he says, yeah, what's your faith? He said, nothing. I'm an atheist. He said, that's okay. Firstly, I admire your faith. And secondly, I will not give you a Christian burial. <laughs> and the guy, oh, this guy's going off to war, remember? And he said, can you write me down as Church of England? (laughs) (laughs) 
See, this whole chapter really is an expression of Jesus as the word of God. God, Jesus is the total expression of God because John is writing it, like we say to people on our Alpha course, if you do nothing else, read John's gospel. From one end to the other, and you'll find Jesus in those pages. Because actually, it is not only that John says it's been written for you, so that you might believe and have life, but actually, time and time again, people read John's gospel, and what do they do? They discover Jesus. They discover Jesus is God. They discover that Jesus is you know, bringing them life and salvation and forgiveness and all that he's promised them. And they find Jesus through the very pages of John's gospel. One of the key reasons, and it's kind of given away a little bit in, in that first verse, that, that Jesus is uh, so much like God is, is simply because he's been with him. So in verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. If you look at the end of the chapter, it says this. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So John wants to drive us towards the whole topic of this chapter, which is kind of the witness of Jesus and our witness to other people. But he wants us to grasp this. Why is Jesus so much like God? Well, because he's been with him. A more literal translation of verse 19 says that it's like Jesus was laid his head on the Father's chest. The Father's bosom, right here, close, warm. It's the same phrase that's used of the beloved disciple, John, of course who's writing the gospel, who lays his head on Jesus at the Last Supper. You see, Jesus is able to witness to God, to reveal the Father, not only because he is God, but he's been with God the Father for all eternity. And so wherever Jesus goes, God is on display. Whenever you look at the life of Jesus, you see the Father. It must have been so frustrating. Well, Jesus, you know, must have found the disciples so frustrating. He was totally patient, so that was okay. But, you know, even Jesus kind of, you know, when Philip says, show us the Father. John 14, show us the Father. I mean, they've been walking around with Jesus for maybe a couple of years at this stage. This is towards the end. This is like the final week, approaching the final week of his life. Show us the Father. Just show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you all this time. I and my Father are... One. If you've seen Jesus, Jesus reflects the Father because he's been with him. So I thought at this time in my preparation, I would just kind of Google Jesus and the Father and try and come up with an image that would kind of portray that. And I had lots of kind of uh, almost, you know, if you went into a Greek Orthodox church, you'd see sort of icons of the Father and the Son. And if you like that kind of art, it doesn't do a great deal for me, but... But also, it's very passive. So, uh, here's a spoiler alert. You may find this slightly irreverent, but just try this image as one of the Father and the Son. If you're still working it out, there's nobody on the surfboard. Where's the Father? You can't see him. What's Jesus doing? Surfing on the water. 
Okay. Just in case, I, did, I mean, you probably all got that. When Jesus went to the cross and rose from the, again from the dead, what does Hebrews say about it? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, Jesus had come out of the joy, the glory, to be here on earth, but knew that once, you know, the thing that got him through the tragedy of the cross, or the greatness of the cross, because it was both a tragedy and great at the same time, because that's where we get our salvation from, it was the joy that was set before him. You see, he'd had this kind of close relationship with God, this advent, this is what I'm trying to convey, hopefully, in this kind of image, that the Father and the Son have lived with one another forever. They love each other. They enjoy each other. They love being together. And the secret of Jesus' life is that they continue that here on earth. And he, as Jesus goes through the cross and the resurrection and Jesus ascends into heaven, he's back in the joy. He's back enjoying his intimate relationship with the Father. In a kind of different way to what he did on earth, although on earth, of course, he was demonstrating an intimacy with the Father. And you see, Jesus is inviting you to come into that same relationship, isn't he? He's inviting you. You know, the one word we probably, amongst others, that we've used in this church for the last decade, which I feel like we hadn't invented, it hadn't been invented for us at least, until about a decade ago, was the word intimacy. How did we never arrive at that word? Now, we could have meant that when we talked about having a relationship with God, I know. We've stressed other aspects of, you know, being friends with God, being servants of God. You know, those are all good concepts. But we never arrived at this place of intimacy. And then something started to shift in our worship, didn't it? And our walk with God. And if you've done one of our schools, one of our, our emphases is, you know, just having intimacy with the Father. The secret of Jesus' life and the secret of your life with God is that you come into a place of intimacy, that you might be wanting to express it in an image like this. Or you may have many other, you know, try Googling Jesus and God, and, uh, uh, Jesus and the Father and see what kind of image suits you. I thought this was quite an unorthodox one. It was quite helpful. But this chapter also prepares us for something else, isn't it? In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So we need to be ready to, you know, to respond to the world in the way that the world responded to Jesus. And some of them are rejecting Jesus. We know what that was like because we all rejected Jesus at one time. Jesus in all his fullness. We may have paid him lip service. We may have even said we believed in him. But we hadn't followed him. We hadn't been born again. Born not of a human decision, but born of God, like John says here. We have been born again to be sons and daughters of God, haven't we? That's our new identity. We've come into intimacy with the Father and we've realized that our new identity is we're sons and daughters. In fact, royal sons and daughters of God, as we've said probably many times, and I've said many times from this stage. 
But here's the thought. Out there, amongst our friends, in our community, in our nation, there are literally hundreds and thousands of people. And at the moment, they're kind of buried under the ground, a bit like this picture. But they're sprouting up. Let me, de- let me declare that we are in a season. And it's interesting that we are kind of spring going into summer, aren't we, in, in the natural. But we're in a spiritual season where seeds that have laid dormant for many years are about to spring up. <laughs> See, this is the irony of it. it. The closer we get to the Father, the more intimacy we have the more we know about who we truly are, the more we go on display to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world starts to be more attracted to what they can see in our lives. Maybe in the past they've seen quite a legalistic form of Christianity. Maybe they've seen us striving to be Christians rather than just be Christians. Not to be overly concerned about their salvation, although we are, Not to be overly concerned about telling them about Jesus, although we want to, but actually just being on display. This is it, folks. Look at me. I have Jesus inside me. Now, you wouldn't probably walk into your office or your school or wherever you work and say that because you don't need to. You have Jesus inside you. In one sense, you don't have to do anything to put yourself on display. You just need to be you, don't you? so much more relaxing than thinking, what are the four steps to salvation and how can I share them? <laughs> what did the preacher say on Sunday? He was urging me again, you know, browbeating me to evangelize my friends. And I can't remember a thing he said, but <laughs> it was good, but I can't remember it. <laughs> What's the ABCD of salvation? Well, you know, those things are, have a place. They can be useful. But folks, wherever you are, you're on display. You have the Holy Spirit inside. You have Jesus inside you. You walk in intimacy with him just as Jesus did. Jesus wants you to be as one with the Father as he is. So here it is. If we have intimacy with the Father, if we, you know, uh, if we we know who we truly are, then that puts us in a superb position to tell other people about Jesus, isn't it? Without the pressure without the guilt. Isn't it funny how you can get guilty about evangelism? It intrigued me a little bit. You know, you've got a message that frees people from guilt and you're guilty about it. How does that work? Just sit yourself down and say, David, you no longer need to be guilty about telling people about Jesus. Just do that. Just brush off the guilt. You've got no guilt. If you don't tell anybody about Jesus for the rest of your life, you're still going to heaven. Hallelujah. How liberating is that? All the Father wants you to do, primarily, is to live your life with him. Now, here's the secret of Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus is so intimate with the Father, because he's carrying around the kingdom of God, that when it comes to just letting that out, it's easy. Father, what have you got for this, this person? Healing. Blind eyes see. Deaf ears open. Lame people walk. People enter into new lives in, in, in him. 
Why has it come so easy? Because the life and light are in Jesus from the Father together and it pours out through him. He's just being who he is. There was nobody so Jesus as Jesus. <laughs> and that same Jesus is in you. How's that happen? Jesus is in me. Just say that. Jesus is in me. He really is. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is in you too. How did that work out? <laughs> how does he get to show himself around? Well, we know how. By his Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like saying, be filled with Jesus, isn't it? And so the more that you walk in intimacy with the Father, the easier you will find it to know what the Father wants to say to the people around you. So when it comes to prophesying over somebody, or having a word of knowledge, or praying for their, for their healing, it just kind of flows out of you. Because our day, you see, the danger of us getting into all the supernatural stuff is that we set another bar for us to rise up to. Well, forget the bar, folks. You don't need to come up to any standard. You just need to be who you are. I like that picture, do you? It's just so easy in that respect. Shall we stand? I felt this morning in the worship that we were kind of like at a tipping point. <laughs> and each one of you is like at a tipping point where, you know, those people around you, they're just, you know, God's been working on the folks around you for years and years. And although some of the, the fact they haven't responded is because they're rejecting Jesus in their heart, really, see, I mean, those who reject Jesus most usually are the closest to Jesus. Paul the Apostle, he's out persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, witnessing Stephen being stoned to, dirt, to death. He looks a million miles away from the kingdom and he's this close. This close. Jesus is the light and the life and he's shining into the light of your friends and mine. Your family and mine. And all it needs is you to tip them over. So you ready for that? If you want to tip your friends over into the kingdom, just raise your hands. Father, we pray right now that you would do that. That we would just be like Jesus. Not be like Jesus. We would be Jesus to other people. We are Jesus to other people. We declare that. We are Jesus to other people. And Lord, you are releasing your kingdom through us. Through healing, through words, through words of knowledge, through prophecy, just being ourselves, just being kind, just a kind word here and a kind word there. Father, just serving the people around us and being Jesus to the people around us. And we say, God, just continue to bring people into your kingdom. And if you're here this morning and you think, I just want to open the door of my heart to Jesus, He just wants to come in and forgive you for your sins. He wants to bring life and light into your hearts, and he will do it if you just say, Father, forgive me, I want to receive you, I want to receive you, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. I open my door to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.